This is Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst magazine. I'm John Tolson and my guests tonight are Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, writers and director of The Collection. Where is this place anyway? It's right up here. still missing. Grieving families are seeking answers. I'm working for a man whose daughter's gone missing. She's all I have. Find her. Was she alive? Last time I saw her. I've got 48 hours before she's dead. You want to find this guy, you got to start at the beginning. Your new movie, The Collection, which is coming out here soon on DVD. So obviously, looking at the, um, the trailer, it's got a considerably larger budget uh, to your first film, The Collector. And I just wanted to ask you both, was it, was it a, co- a more consciously bigger story that you were after this time? Absolutely. I mean, we knew we were going to have more resources going in, and we wanted to create an entirely different experience from the first movie. We didn't want to be dependent upon its story structure, upon its, uh, upon its scale. We just wanted to say, what if we were given a chance to make a movie with a couple of carryover characters. That's it. So any backstory or whatnot has been taken care of to a point, but let's really challenge ourselves to earn the opportunity by making a fresh experience, something entirely of its own DNA. Yeah. Right. Well, and also um, we sort of knew the location was going to be the, you know, this, this madman's lair. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, what kind of a place would he live in? And it needed to be something that was, you know, just uh, sort of this museum of horrors. And so being able to really do that, we needed to have more money, more resources, and, you know, this big location that we could really dress up and make gorgeous. And so Graham Grace Walker, who's the production designer, you know, uh, was able to do a lot more. Um, Sam McCurdy, the DP, what, you know, what, what I think was appealing to him was that it wasn't going to be this sort of dark, dingy dungeon type setting. It was something that was going to be quite, you know, start as that in the basement, but in the vault is something that's much more colorful and bizarre and surreal. So like, um, that, that is what we needed and you need more money to be able to capture that. Cause in the first, the first movie, it was just uh, a home, right? Mm-hmm. An average home. It had sort of just, Traps and, and and such all around, and so it didn't need to. It needs to uh, sort of fit in. While this called for something that was a bit more, um, you know, visually challenging and stimulating. Well, the the look of the film is very distinctive. Um, I haven't seen the whole film yet, but I've seen the trailer, and I was, you know, very very um, t- very impressed with the look of the film. It's very intriguing. And I just wondered how how did you approach the 
production design and the cinematography uh, of the film. How did you arrive at that, at the look and, and your approach? Um, with We're very fortunate to have the goal uh, set very high, and it was a place that began in the in the late seventies, early eighties with Dario Argento's Suspiria yeah. and Inferno. Yeah. And now, uh, in the, in the common common horror climate, where found footage was really popping up with such popularity that it, as a horror style, I think had nearly reached a saturation point. Mm. And so we could not go murky, handheld, just wait in the dark for some door to slam and then go, ah, and hope a, a scream will kind of generate the impetus in that, in that way. What we wanted to do was go back to a more classic look that had beauty of composition, that had to explain a character by the character's environment, that being our killer, who does not speak, who does not give detail of even eye. He's got the reflective eyes, and he is jet black except for that kind of half smirk that is in, carved into his mask. So Graham Grace Walker, our production designer, uh, who hails from Mad Max, who mm. hails from the House of Max, created the environment of the killer in floor by floor as it starts with decay and ends up in elegance. You see his sort of skewed vision of what life is and how and how pious he feels the insect colony is to the disorganization of man. So he reorganizes man into these insects in his collection, right? Mm. Then, with the cinematography, that could not be captured by, I don't think as accurately, with a, with a modern digital format, so we were able to shoot on 35-millimeter anamorphic film and get those wonderful lenses mm. to add the lens pairs and to give everything a grace note as, as we went through all the all of the horrific scenarios and it just let it feel like a movie and let the world feel a bit bigger and so when we were in in more modest sets when we were in more confined areas the sheen of the entire production helped glide through that it helped make the entire thing feel just as big from minute one to minute close and it allows us to hide some of our secrets and tricks in there. Mm. Well, you've already mentioned Dario Argento, and I noticed there was a, a little homage even in the trailer, the, the Hotel Argento. Um, and I just wondered how much of an influence has Argento and the, the Giallo films been on you throughout, not just the Collector movies, but also throughout the Saw movies as well? Well, I think Saw 1 had some nice Jello touches, and I think Saw 6 had nice Jello touches. They were kind of, uh, it, it, otherwise, they were hinted at throughout the other movies just a bit. But with Kevin Groider's Saw 6 and James Wan's Saw 1, you really felt the reds and the, and the mm. fetishes of, of Jello a little bit. Um, and I, that, you know, I've had a big crush on those aesthetics for some time because they just, they were never part of a horror movie blueprint. They had to be grafted on by the artist behind the scenes. And if it was lingering shots of the hands of the killer, or if it was just something in, in set design or in camera placement that allowed the shot to be composed more like a painting, mm. that was someone reaching beyond the impetus of bloodletting or the the moment of shock and, and, and dismemberment. It was, it was pushing to be beautiful as well. And I think when that window was opened 
to accepting something as beautiful, the fear of everything else was a nice ingredient, and it made the brew all the more disturbing and, and intoxicating in a way. Well, with the collection, I think it's, it's your, your second film as a director, Marcus, if, if I'm right, a feature film. Um, obviously, you and Patrick have worked together for a long time as writers uh, on the Saw franchise and Piranha, but I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you made that transition into uh, the studio giving you the money or you being able to raise the money to make uh, your own project. Well, the, uh, it was a short, I mean, you know, it started with the collector and that was, uh, it was a short idea that we wanted to do and make a short film and it was very contained. It was, uh, you know, a thief breaks into a house and it's just a serial killer's house and a serial killer comes home. Um, and, uh, and that sort of evolved into the bigger story that became the collector. But even to get that going, Marcus had to direct a, like a concept trailer. Mm-hmm. So with about $5,000, um, John Gulliger was the DP and, uh, you know, Tom Gulliger, um, was in it and Clue Gulliger was in it. The whole Gulliger clan was yeah. in it. We <laughs> shot it in a, some in a bar, some in a sort of this rural house and, and that, and it was, it just sold sort of the, the vibe and, uh, concept of the collector. And that was enough to get us, you know, a few million dollars to actually make the movie. Mm-hmm. And, then, and you have to do that quite a bit. You have to, you know, Marcus, you know, he, he was a film student and had stuff, but not slick enough or appropriate stuff for, you know, to make a professional movie. And so often you have to go out and shoot something. And we we had been somewhat established with our writing. And um, so that just allowed, you know, allowed us to, to do it, you know, and as sort of a proof of, comp, proof of concept. Mm. Well, you, oh. you and Marcus, uh, you've been working together a long time as writers, as co-writers. Um, uh, it's obviously it's not rare for co-writers to to to, to work together um, in Hollywood. But I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what your process is. How do you actually work together on a project? What would be a typical sort of writing process that you would go through? Well, we sort of, you know come up with an idea and then we'll break it together, you know, just talk it through together and talk about the bigger beats. And then, you know, like I'll, I'll take notes or something, then I'll go home and try to put it into a, uh, an outline of some sort and then, you know, send it over to him and he'll just sort of add, add upon it or just have respond to it. And then that's just the beginning of the process of going back and forth. We don't really sit in the room together and go through, um, the minutia of of a scene or dialogue until often later on, like when we're shooting or going preparing to shoot, where you know we have to be very detail oriented. Um, so that's 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 basically the concept of going just going back and forth. And if if we if if there is something that's a little bit more of a conversation, we will we will often get together and do it that way um, and just sort of talk it through. Mm. Uh, in terms of the actual writing, we'll often just go back and forth. And when it comes to the set pieces in the movies, how do you kind of work that out? Do you work that out together? Do you storyboard it? How do you kind of pin those details well, you, down? Well, 
Well, you, I mean, yeah, when it begins on the conceptual level, yeah, we'll definitely have to talk things, talk things through so they make sense. Um, and then when it comes to shooting it, yeah, we'll, we'll have, it'll, it'll, Marcus will then storyboard it himself and then, you know, have to try to convey that to everyone how it gets done. But, you know, then you'll get on set and, it'll look different and or whatever. And then often it will be us going back and forth because he'll be thinking maybe perhaps more visually of this is where I'm going to place the camera. And then, you know, I might be just more uh, aware of story, story wise, if it mm. makes sense, <laughs> you know, like, like for something like the collection collector, which was even the collection too, mm. you had this idea in your head of, okay, it's this house and there happens to be a staircase here. And then you go into the location, and the staircase is on the opposite side. <laughs> and now you have all this stuff work, you know. And so it's unless you have a really in-depth knowledge of the script, it's really impossible to do. Where you, you know, well, it just some blocking won't quite work. So <clears throat> that's usually actually kind of fun figuring that out. And we'll just, you know, do that together pretty much. How, how did you both meet? Did you both meet at film school or afterwards? Yeah, it was at. Iowa, which mm. is, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, Iowa University, which is, you know, the state of Iowa in the middle of the U.S. We, yeah. That's where we met. And when we met, um, Marcus was in film, in film school, but I, I wasn't. I was taking more writing classes and stuff like that. And I, I didn't, I went to graduate film school out here in L.A., but mm. I did I did some film stuff at, uh, at Iowa, but Marcus was more immersed in that world. Is is the whole so something better for even having the the chance to to learn about some things and also keep a good grip on a, a on a university a big scale life experience in Iowa where far too often I, I think some film schools can be isolation events mm. where you're you're confined to towers and buildings whereas in Iowa their film program was was almost a secret and so we were still able to get into life's troubles and apply that to to things that we could create. And that was fun. And I think that was also a, a, a very valuable experience. Was the horror genre something that you were always drawn to, even uh, back then or even before you went to the film school? Oh, gosh. I think that horror has always been there for us in one way or another, be it when we were... You know, just little kids, and you'd get together with your friends in the, the puffy VHX box, and who could share the most forbidden image, <laughs> be it like full zombie or the, uh, uh, oh gosh, I remember when, can you watch I Spit on Your Grave, or we have to turn it off, and like, I think we turned it off, it was like, ugh, you know, but you'd kind of have that, that that thrill of trying to find something, and now that I'm speaking to someone over in the U.K., your list of the video nasties mm. was our check. I mean, that's what you had to get through to, <laughs> to survive, you know, a, yeah. a cool check, you know, if anything. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, horror was there as almost a bonding experience. It wasn't a separation event of any kind. It was, can you get together with your buddies, hold on to the popcorn, and keep your stomach in check? Yay, we did it. Yeah, I mean, as you know, as a kid... We, you know, we sort of uh, grew up on, you know, the VR and the VHS tapes, mm. so that were suddenly available. And, um, you know, I uh, I watched a lot 
and I didn't really, I didn't particularly realize that I watched more than others until I got to film school, where I was able to reference a lot of stuff and people weren't. And mm. um, I just I don't know, I just you know, drawn to it. You know, as a kid, I just liked the the sensation of uh, being scared. So, do you find yourself? I mean, to think about it, our parents, mm. uh, if they wanted to see Carnival of Souls, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Halloween, The Shining, and the remake of The Blob. Mm-hmm. They would have to have waited 50 years to see those. <laughs> By the time Patrick and I were in school, we could have watched those in one day mm-hmm. and absorbed all the significant moments and the impact of this great horror storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you have to think it's as if how sort of children learn from at such a geometric rate with technology today, how Pat's child already has a computer and is doing math on it, whereas, you know, when I was going, it was slide rulers, maybe a calculator was exotic, that sort of a feeling. They're just, it, you can also learn about cinema at such a, a much quicker rate. You can it hopefully advance storytelling. And the leaps in special effects have certainly been there, but, you know, storytelling, if anything, is... Uh, it's still such a, a, a wonderful mystery to dive into and see those techniques that get under our skin. So having said all that, um, do you have any kind of plans to make any movies outside of the horror genre? Well, I mean, we're involved with a, a few now. You know, we mm. worked on uh, Pacific Rim, which uh, certainly has giant monsters which are mm. part of the horror horror, horror, horror spectrum but uh, it's it's more of a sci-fi movie um, we're working on a few things I mean, well you know it's sci-fi and you know your intense dark drama I mean intense, intense dark thriller are all sort of like you know in that same area we're, we're certainly not going to do a romantic comedy I don't <laughs> think but um, uh, we're doing you know, we worked outside of horror, but mm-hmm. just in other sort of genre-type movies. We're not all that far removed from it, but we, you know, we're working on things like, you know, um, we we God, God, of, God of War. We were working on God of War, oh, which yeah. uh, isn't isn't horror, although it does have creatures and and you know a lot of bloodletting. Um, but it's more of an action adventure, I suppose. We we did we did a script for uh, the Outer Limits, which is you know the sci-fi series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, but there are, you know, there are still a lot of monsters and such involved. <laughs> Excellent. Well, the, finally, because the, uh, the, the readers and listeners will want to know, um, about the, th- the third installment, which, uh, has been rumored, which is, I've heard it's called The Collected. Can you confirm this and tell us anything about it? Well, we can confirm that there is a script called The Collected, and <laughs> yeah, depending on how the world accepts uh, this second installment, perhaps we'll have an opportunity to realize that story to film once again. Um, but uh, that that was nice. Like even before the second one came out, uh, we were uh, we were asked to do a third, and that was that was nice. There was, but once again, a complete reinvention, a, a step in a different direction. Um, to challenge it, to, to earn the opportunity to be bold, to be different, mm. and uh, hopefully should be returned to the theater again with these characters, uh, you will be surprised. You better be prepared. Bring everything you got. Because if he catches you, he's going to make you wish you were dead. 
Friday Night Frights. Well, that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights. But don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay, stay scared. scared. You're right. You're right. Look, your brother's in there!